Hello and welcome to the Gentleman's Journal podcast. I'm Joe Bullmore, the editor of Gentleman's Journal, and our guest on today's episode is the chef Tom Straker. People sometimes describe Tom as a TikTok chef or an Instagram chef, and yes, it's true that he's got millions and millions and millions of followers on Instagram and TikTok, and that he's known across the world for his very mesmeric butter-making videos, among many other things. But Tom's also the real deal, of course. He's a chef who trained at the Dorchester for years and headed up the kitchen at Casa Cruz before trying his hand one day in lockdown in 2020 at making a cooking video for a few hundred followers. That first attempt was pretty dreadful, he admits. But now Tom runs an entire studio to produce this sort of content while his adoring fans flock from around the world to eat at Straker's, his newest restaurant in Notting Hill, which I can say from personal experience thoroughly lives up to all the excellent reviews it's had since its opening at the end of last year. A second Strakers is set to open in Manhattan in just a few months' time, and Tom's got all sorts of other entrepreneurial products and projects on the back burner. That's a culinary pun for you, including a Japanese knife brand and the hopes of disrupting the rather dull dairy aisle at your local supermarket. Tom and I spoke today about all sorts of things in an episode recorded in the office above Strakers on the Goldborn Road, including his earliest food memories, the ridiculous suit that he wore to his first interview at the Dorchester, and his very good advice for anyone unsure of what they want to do with their career. Enjoy! But before we begin, I wanted to very quickly tell you about our exciting new brand partner for the Gentleman's Journal podcast. Luca Filoni, as I'm sure you know, makes some of the finest, loveliest, most timeless and understated menswear garments on the planet. They specialise in fine materials such as cashmere, linen and silk cotton. And it's all made in Italy, all made under the watchful eye of Luca himself, who's been a friend of the Gentleman's Journal for a long time now, pretty much since day one. I personally couldn't recommend um, their garments enough. And I think at this time of the year, as I look out my window right now, and it can't seem to make up its mind between winter, spring and summer, one of their silk cashmere blends might be exactly what you need. So I thoroughly recommend you go and check them out, whether you see them in the flesh at one of their many handsome stores about the place, or in fact, just go check them out online at lucafaloni.com. Anyway, on with the show. Tom, thanks very much for joining us, the Gentleman's Journal podcast. Pleasure to be here. We're sitting above Straker's restaurant, the restaurant with your name above the door. Yeah. Was it important to have your own name above the door for your so first So above proper? the restaurant that has my name above the door. Yeah, I don't know where that puts us above. <laughs> that puts us right at the top. <laughs> um, no, I think originally I, I, I was looking at a different name. I wanted something, I wanted something cool. Um, well, and I did, was, was there a long, long list of names? The naming process was actually quite difficult. I started looking for a restaurant four years ago. Yeah, you know, mate, I was a lot younger, and I was starting that journey on my own, like discovering what I want to do. And it's not the easiest thing to know exactly where you're going to pitch yourself in the market. Yeah. As I was looking for a restaurant, I spoke to some friends who I was at school with, and they had a branding agency. And I was like, no, this was a great way to place to start like I'll go and like create the brand nice. it was difficult to create the brand because I didn't I wasn't too direct in terms of what I exactly wanted I was like 
oh yeah, I want it to be seasonal, I want it to be da 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 just saying all the, like, it was just kind of waffle buzzwords. <laughs> they're very hard to like, and then they went off and they were like, we can help you name it. I was like, oh, great. And then we didn't land on it because I didn't know exactly what I wanted. So I suppose like that was a lesson in terms of yeah. knowing exactly what you want and then get, because we spent a load of money, created this brand, which I'd never used. And then obviously it developed, uh, originally I didn't want to have my name above the door because I wanted to create a brand that, you know, can travel, can mm. scale and not be attached to me um, necessarily. But this made sense just because of the growth that I had on social platforms over lockdown, which was sort of bang in the middle of the four years I've been looking for a restaurant. So yeah. when I came back from the States, I was working in the States and I came back and I found this site and I was like, this is after lockdown. I was like, right. I mean, it's got to be called Strakers just because nice. it just, it, like from a marketing perspective, yeah, it just makes sense yeah. to have, obviously, because my social platform was growing and there would have been some, you know, easy transition between my platform and the, and the restaurant. And so yeah. it just, it just made sense. So that's how we landed on it. It wasn't like, I need to have my name on the door yeah. because I'm, <laughs> it's I'm a, a complete surname, narcissist. <laughs> Strakers is a good surname. It's mm. kind of got, I don't know, it's it's distinctive. Someone said to me the other night across the kitchen counter, because at the restaurant we have a kit, we have a, it's an open kitchen. So you get into conversations with people, it depends what kind of mood you're in, right. how many glasses of wine you've had before <laughs> service or whatever. And they were like, did you thank your parents for giving you such a marketable surname? <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't really their choice either. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't, it? well, grandparents, grandparents, grandparents. Yeah. I don't know. God. <laughs> God, yeah, thank God. Thank, thank God. Um, I was sitting having coffee at the Goldborn Deli a few weeks ago. Um, on some morning, there were two girls in absolute silence on the table next to us, just scrolling on their phones. And you walked across the road to your restaurant or maybe to the deli and they broke out in this kind of sea of gasps and hisses <laughs> as if they'd seen a member of the Beatles and they were like that's Thomas Straker and they were oh my god and it was kind of utter pandemonium the most animated I'd seen them all morning so you are <laughs> a you- kind of you're a local celebrity but you're also kind of an international celebrity I mean Straker is now yeah a name that's known around the world how does that make you feel? Um well, I don't really I don't really think about that because you know essentially in my opinion all I do is I make cooking videos in a in a studio in Park Royal. <laughs> There's hardly <laughs> glitz and glamour, but um, I do see that. Obviously, I feel that sort of connection with people in the restaurant for sure because it's very easy for me to have a conversation with someone across the past. Like in passing, people want to have a photograph perfect in the kitchen with all the chefs. Like I don't like make it too much about everyone's here to see me like essentially in my opinion everyone's here because they want to eat food they want to have a nice time yeah soak up the vibes drink well that's where i position myself you know i we create an experience but then also on the flip side for me personally and business-wise going forward it it makes incredible sense to have a have a good platform to to launch off and yeah i suppose being recognised is, you know, you got to take it yeah. with. It's not a bad thing. No, it's not a bad. It's not a bad thing, and I'm always very happy to to chat and to do whatever. You know, it's not, it, sometimes it's not good if it's say it's like five a.m. in Soho, <laughs> <laughs> and then you're like, for fuck's sake. <laughs> 
And it depends. The horses yeah. for courses. If it's like bright Tuesday morning, 9am, yeah. 10 hours sleep, fantastic. Because <laughs> I um, cause the growth of your social stuff has been kind of exponential. I think I followed you before you were cool. Perfect. You, Good. You, when I found you... You get a t-shirt for that. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> you must have had about 10,000 or so followers. I mean, that's still a hell of a lot in about kind of mid-2020, late 2020 maybe. Yeah. I was listening to a podcast with you almost exactly a year ago and you had 166,000. Yeah. I, when I was writing these questions last week, you had 1.1 and now it says you've got 1.2. Yeah. It's mad. Yeah, so it's, it's just consistency now for me. Obviously, there was a start of lockdown. I hadn't done any socials. I went out. I was working privately, but this billionaire flew out to the States and I was cooking for a family of five the whole of lockdown, three and a half months. And I, basically they were like, do you want to come and watch COVID blow over in St. Bart's for two weeks? I was like, perfect. We were meant to be going to St. Bart's, we stayed in New York. I thought chefs and- were meant to have a tough life. Yeah, it was tough before that. We'll get back to the grind before course, that. Like, there, was a, there was graft. Um, and flew out there. And it's cooking for a family of five. I was like, oh, it really didn't take me all day to cook for a family of five, you know. So I was like, you know, two weeks in, I'd have taken me four or five hours in the morning to do breakfast, lunch and dinner. Yeah. Two weeks, uh, you know, just completed red tube. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was like, shit, what am I going to do in my afternoons? Wow. <laughs> and then I was like, fuck, I, need, I should make some cooking videos. So everyone was sort of doing it. What were the first videos like? Um, not the red shoes. Nothing like red. <laughs> <laughs> um, the first ones were crap. Like I filmed right. them all myself, long form. Like I was trying to get. Yeah, I didn't really know how to make videos at all. Did you literally hold the? I've always wondered this. Do you hold the phone with one hand and then kind of cook with the other? I was doing that doing a that? little bit initially. Then I bought a tripod. Wow. And okay. then yeah, it went serious. I went high end. Yeah. And then I've got a better tripod now. <laughs> <laughs> and then I've got two tripods. Have you bloody? Hell. Yeah. So I might even get a third. <laughs> <laughs> a tripod of tripods. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, but they weren't good. They were kind of too long. And were you talking over them? Was it the same? Yeah. It was like like the the whole aspect ratio of the videos was wrong like right. it was the wrong size I'd filmed it in you know there was music playing in the background I don't know and then it got to the point where I was like and I was editing them all myself and I was I was crap at editing obviously because I'd never done it before yeah. so I built up a steady following a friend of mine was sharing my stuff on his platform and then when I came back after three and a half months I had 15,000 followers or something mm. And I actually enjoyed, you know, I wasn't working in the kitchen at the time because I'd been working privately. And when I got back, I just carried on, carried on making the videos, kept myself busy, looking for a restaurant site, like COVID was sort of like, eat, eat, is it happening again, is it not? Mm. So I was just staying like, staying fluid and flexible. Obviously it got to the point where it was growing, socials got, you know, I was cooking in my kitchen every day. My wife was like, what the fuck, you need to get out. So eventually when it was like really a lot I found a studio in Park Royal and we built a kitchen and now we've got a production company out there and stuff like that so to do longer form video stuff on YouTube so it grew naturally I never went out there and was like right today I'm going to make myself a Instagram chef like I never wanted all those sort of terminologies really sort of made me sort of like recoil because right. you know an influencer don't say that word. Yeah. <laughs> Out. <laughs> no, but it's like, it's difficult because 
you know, on the one hand, I'm really grateful for it. And on the other hand, when I was opening the restaurant, all of the articles were like, oh, TikTok sensation, mm. Instagram celebrity chef. And I was just like, you know, I'm a chef. I love being in the kitchen. I love the energy with all the chefs in there and everyone gets to work and they're fired up and there's a mad panic getting ready for service and then the service is like you know it's like fucking swan lake <laughs> and then it's like mad panic get ready for dinner swan lake again for dinner and then it's get fucked up oh, no sorry <laughs> then it's go home and go to bed <laughs> so that's the that's the kind of like, so you're a chef really and the yeah and this yeah, is, you never planned to be an instagram star no 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 it comes around you know it comes with its Yesterday I spent, I had to rearrange a podcast with you because I had to spend all day filming content and it actually, you know, it exhausts me. It's yeah. actually quite tiring being so fun on camera. <laughs> <laughs> I had to have a snap in the afternoon. Oh my God. It's quite tiring though. Cause you're like, it's not cooking. It's not yeah. like free, you know, you have to stop, pause. Like when I cook, I like to just like yeah. be in the motion. Of course. It's like, stop, do that, stop, do that. Yeah. Uh, that's what I didn't really really realise about doing the more longer form uh, videos which are actually super enjoyable to do when you've got two cameramen yeah. two cameras but that's double the price oh right there you go otherwise you have to stop do the same you have to cook the same dish twice oh of course and do all the prep again so it's, it takes two hours yeah, three hours cheapest. so let's go back to the start then because obviously you have very much put the hours in is it a cliche to ask chefs about their first food memory it seems to be a question everyone no, I don't know I don't think it is. Do you have one that's very evocative? And I don't know if, it, if it's because it's imprinted in my mind or it's just because of a picture I saw. But right. there's a... I remember I caught my first fish uh, with my dad. We were just like in... We were rowing down a like a, a lake and me and my twin sister, we had a fishing rod out each side and we were trawling for... Yeah. Had the fly on the end and I was like, I think I, think I got one. It was pissing it down with rain. I was four years old. I was like, wow. I, was like I think I got one. We both caught the fish, went back. My dad can't cook for shit. You know, we had a fire. He was in the army, so make a good fire. <laughs> Burned some sausages and we cooked the trout. And so I went surfing turf straight up. I was wow, in there. Great. <laughs> trout and sausages. That's delicious. <laughs> but that's like, you know, I just, because I saw the picture of me like holding the trout and with a sausage. And I suppose that's like a, but it does kind of embody what I like about food. I like the hunter gatherer kind of side of food like mm. when we were back in the day when you used to have to go out and you had to find all your food and forage for it and kill it and whatever yeah that's a part of my ethos in food so I suppose you've got that side and then also just like you know a good sausage yeah <laughs> and being that. outside and like that's where food's from right because essentially a lot of people don't a lot of chefs I don't even think have ever been to a farm being in touch with where food comes from is really important yeah think. of course I was lucky to sort of be around that. I grew up in Herefordshire and I was around like farming day to day. Mm. Um, you know, my parents had a little, you know, kept a few sheep and some pigs and chickens and all that sort of stuff. So it was all lovely growing up and, you know, you'd be involved. Mum was a great gardener and she had a, she owned a pub. Yeah. Um, so I suppose like I was very in tune with all yeah. everything food I didn't know what I wanted to do when I left school because you know I fucked around at school obviously because yeah. I'm a bad boy <laughs> <laughs> um, what you just didn't you weren't good at the lessons no I was good yeah I was naturally reasonably intelligent but yeah like I preferred playing sport and yeah 
being outside and causing trouble and chasing women and smoking yeah. cigarettes. I think it's more <laughs> That's a better education. So, um, and then, so I left school. I was like, right, what am I going to do? I was like, right, dad's in the army. I love food and growing up around, mum is a great cook. I was like, right, I'm going to try the army. <laughs> so I went to do my main board for Santa. I went to try to get Santa, did my main board and I failed because... Passed the first one, I failed. The second one, because they said I was too immature. I was like, okay, fair enough. This <laughs> I was straight eight, out of school. Yeah, I was 18. Go, yeah. I was eight, and everyone else was like 20. The youngest person, next youngest person was 25. And I was looking at myself at 25 versus 18. I did actually, when I was 25, I was like, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. 18-year-old yeah. me was pretty, real. Pretty raw. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I was like, right, cooking. So I went Fine. to... I was but why to, was that the, the natural next choice? Because you've actually, done mum's profession, dad's yeah, profession. Yeah, no, no, I, I just loved it. I was sort of second-guessing myself and I was like, I don't really want to be told to make my bed every day in the army. I was like, I like creativity, but I also like structure. And there was there's kind of like that military aspect in, yeah. in a kitchen, you know, the hierarchy and the being disciplined or ill-disciplined mm. and just having... You, you you can create within within a certain border, whereas in the army, I don't. There's not much room for creativity. No, I think no, <laughs> very little. Uh, so I was like that. You know, it kind of looked kind of looked appealing to me. I, I did a very bad job at an admin job for about two weeks, and okay. I was like, the desk life that ain't for me. No, no. And so I was like, right, get out on my feet. So I was I did this cooking course, and I was like. I found this cooking course in Ireland and I was like, I really want to go. And I said to my parents, I was like, oh, quite fancy doing this. They're like, this is the last thing we pay for. Really? The last thing. So I was like, it was 12,000 euros wow. back 15 years ago. So, yeah. yeah so not, how long was that course? Three month course. Okay. Called Ballymaloo. And it, you know, it's not cheap, but you live there on site and I was like, right, I've got to make this work. And at the time, I went, with it, I went that? with my girlfriend at the yeah. time you know we lived together and it was you know dreamy bliss right <laughs> <laughs> and we broke up as soon as we got back okay. and I <laughs> carried on and she hasn't cooked anymore but um, <laughs> so it was a great it was a great experience loved it I knew as soon as I got back I was like I went straight to a festival in Berlin after when I got back and I was like I said to my sister sitting up late I was like Nice. <laughs> <laughs> and then I did it. I moved to London as soon as I got back from Berlin. I went to work at the Dorchester. I got uh, some work experience. So I was, initially, I was like, yeah, I'm going to be a chef. I was like, yeah, but I'm going to get in there a bit easy and I'm going to go and do a ski season. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was like, right, I'll go and do some work experience at the Dorchester. Basically, my dad had been for lunch with, and the executive chef of the Dorchester had been there and he was like saying that I wanted to get into food and everything like that and uh, he was like oh send him in for an interview mm. I was like well so I got on the train from Hereford and my mum was like right you're going for your job interview she like you must wear a suit I was like okay fine don't have a suit she was like don't worry you can wear your dead uncle's suit and she was like fine so I got in this ridiculous three piece tweed suit wow <laughs> coming down from Herefordshire and I arrived at the you know it's ill fitting it was large it was, you know I looked kind of ridiculous um and walked down through our park, down Park Lane, went to the door, so I went to the front door, straight in the front door. And went to the front desk, I was like, I've got a meeting with the chef. They're like, who is it? 
uh, Tom's tracking out. I've got a, um, I'm here for an interview about being a chef. <laughs> And then, like you know, the, and then like it transpires that you go down to the kitchen, and then there's all you know, first you know, big professional kitchen, hundred chefs in there, yeah. all you know, most chefs turn up to their interview wearing a pair of ripped jeans and some vans, and I'm there in a fucking tweed suit. <laughs> <laughs> and then I never forgive my mum for that. And so I went round. Then obviously, then you realise that actually there's a staff entrance. You got to go around the staff entrance. Oh wow! And so obviously, I just went in front door, tweets in there. He was like, "Who is? Yeah, I arrived. I'm here for the I, job. I arrived." And then obviously <laughs> got the job because of the suit. Um, Did they comment on the suit? No, no, they were very polite. Oh, good. They're probably. <laughs> um, but they were like, it, was, "It must." I didn't even get a picture actually. Oh shame! Uh, it would have been a great one for the journal. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, looks smart as hell. And got the job and then I was good doing two weeks work experience yeah soup two weeks work experience and then I was like <laughs> I was meant to be going off uh, on a ski season and I actually after so after my first shift in the kitchen it was like I prepped sort of 400 heads of broccoli I think and I left it was pissing it down with rain I sat in the bus stop for half an hour getting the bus back to Battersea I was like fuck I should have worked harder it's cool it's that realisation but anyway Really enjoyed two weeks. They offered me a job. I was like, fuck it, I'm going to put my head down. Nice. That was the moment I was like, I'm going to knuckle down. Yeah. I enjoy it. I'm going to do this. I'm going to get real stuck in. And I stayed there for three years. Yeah. Yeah. So two weeks turned into three years. And then sort of floating around and did a few other bits. And here we are. What was the culture like in big kitchens then? We had Marco Pierre White on here almost exactly two years ago, actually. And the way he describes his early kitchen experiences, it's like he's descending into the bowels of hell. It's like some medieval place where everyone's throwing knives at you. And he may have been exaggerating. I think perhaps he was. No, I don't. I've, no, there are definitely kitchens like that. Yeah. Um, I think I sort of hit it at a point where it was transitioning from being a real hard line, nasty, not nasty, but you know Tough. it's your way their way or the highway now it's like fucking everyone cries and goes to HR <laughs> <laughs> if you say anything anything slightly out of time you've got to be careful just as it, I just close my mouth when I go in the kitchen really no feedback nothing <laughs> no no you can't say anything you can't say boo to a goose <laughs> they uh, <laughs> no I did grow you know there was obviously not there was you know chefs are passionate and highly strong yeah and if you don't cut that nice bit of asparagus on the angle and I'm going to fucking come down on you like a ton of bricks have you shouted to the people give me I have hand. done but it was like back, you know I was growing up yeah um, and apologies if anyone was yeah. on the receiving end of that but it was um, the yeah I kind of learned you know I learned through the more I had some management coaching because I was I ended up in a job where I was looking after about 50 chefs and I was still young I was 27 or something uh, yeah 27 wow and you know there was like the consultant came in they are like you gotta get rid of Tom he doesn't know how to talk to chefs and then the owner was like this is Juan Santa Cruz he was yeah. like I really liked Tom you know his food's amazing and we worked really well together we'd worked for two and a half years together already and he was like just fix just sort the problem that you see so I then had some you know, once a week I'd have an hour's management coaching and he was giving me all these books to read, like Chicken Soup for the Soul. And one of the more interesting things he told me about 
getting into management and working out, he's you, you've got to be empathetic. And he just explained names like you're in service, something goes wrong, you scream at this person, and then you know they they're working for not a lot of money, not a huge amount of money. Mm-hmm. You know they're you know paycheck to paycheck chefs are working, and you've given them absolute hell, and they're like sat on the bus home because they missed their last tube at one o'clock in the morning thinking, why the fuck am I working for this guy? Because, you know, well, he's just shouted at me, um, you know, he's a twat. And then they start, you know, they're probably they're probably living a bit further out because it's expensive, you know, we're working yeah. in Notting Hill and it's expensive to work there and then you lose a chef or yeah. you lose someone and you don't gain anything. You're, you're gaining more from, like, explaining to them what went wrong, how to get better. Yeah. Some people understand, some people don't. But that it, I definitely need to switch my management style from that. And you've got to listen to people and hear their problems. And, yeah. You know? <laughs> and so that's what you're like now with this with this cohort of chefs. Just let them do what the fuck they want now. Okay, yeah. <laughs> no, they, uh, no, but they are great. Yeah, I'm... Obviously, it's my my restaurant, so I don't want people to suddenly think, oh, God, the, the wanker's here. Yeah. But I love it. As ever, if everyone's doing a good job, I'm... I'm fine. Yeah. Yesterday, I, people were slacking, so I went full. Um, Alex Ferguson. Yeah, I was going to say something else. <laughs> what were you going to say? Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the strong management style. Too, the other yeah. strong management style. So sometimes I flip between like yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's probably what does that? They probably think I'm bipolar. No, no. I was just like someone brought their dog to work, and I was like, and then they arrived, someone arrived five minutes late, and spent five minutes patting the dog, and I was there. Writing the menu, and I was, I just, I was just like, "What the fuck is going on?" I was like, "You're late. Don't bring your dog to work." Da, 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 da. And yeah. then I just, then I was just going. Da, 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 da. I was, then I was like, "George, come here." Da, 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 da. Right. Once you see one thing, everything. Yeah, and then it's like you know, because you cut too much slack, and people start taking piss. Okay. So you just got to show them sometimes. Yeah, sometimes you just got to set the boundaries. Bam, and right. then the boundaries will go when you decide. Do you want the boundaries? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so then, after you've done something like that, is the atmosphere? No, no, it's fine. No, because I don't do it. You know, no. I just te- I just tell them, look, listen, this is taking the piss. Get on with it. They know. Yeah, they're not stupid. Yeah, but that is not, not surprised. No, no. And then do you do you kind of leaven it all with a joke? Do you say, ah, you big twat? I don't know. No, 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 no. They don't. No, it's it's not. I don't go. Crazy. No. I just like set it in a. If you want to get something across, you just set it firmly once. And yeah, that's enough. Move forward. Yeah. No, and then it was a really good service. I bet. Really good lunch. I asked a couple of mutual friends for some questions about you. Okay. Fred Barton, who actively asked for his name to be mentioned, <laughs> Fred, um, said, "Yeah, he said, why are you called Two Pint Tom?" Well, that's quite an obvious one. It's quite easy. Yeah, I, can't, I can't drink. Fine. That's probably quite a good thing for a chef, to have a low tolerance. Well, I no, no, I, it means you just become a, a bit of a dick earlier. <laughs> um, it's just cheap to become drunk, which is good for me, actually. Yeah. So you worked, obviously, in Casa Cruz for a while, a place which is known for its kind of... Juan likes the theatre of things. It's got exacting eye for design. It's all about the crowd and the atmosphere. Um as much as about the food. Mm. Has that kind of influenced you in some way that you realise it's not just about what happens in the open kitchen, it's also about the front? Yeah, 100%. It's like the whole 
I suppose you learn that throughout your career. When I started as a chef, I was like, you know, food is everything. Because that's what the chefs do there. Yeah. They're like, food, 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 food. Nothing else matters. Where everyone else is a cunt. Whatever. <laughs> um, food, 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 food. And then you get to the point where it's like, front of house is important. <clears throat> Wait, because I didn't see the inside of a dining room for like three years. Yeah. When I was at the Dorset, because all back of the house, I didn't see like the service or anything like that. And I think it's quite nice being in an open kitchen to see that, the service element. You see how it all works, makes you work as a good team. But so going through career, natural progression, front of house is important. You need to be nice to them. And then there's the whole management side and design side and how you want the feel of the place. And I suppose that is a hundred percent what I took from, I took a lot of that from, Cass Cruz is the first restaurant I worked in that wasn't food-led. It was sort of vibe-led. Definitely, yeah. And, you know, I had to, like, sort of check myself a bit and be like, no, no, this is how the food wants to be. And Han was like, no, because, you know, this lady's coming for dinner and, you know, they've got to eat spinach and oversole and, you know, no no garlic, no butter, no this, no that. All the enjoyment gone from cooking. <laughs> um, but then I left and I was like, fuck, that was a great experience, you know, exacting eye for detail as you said comfort for customers because you know chefs are important front of house is important customers are also the most important like yeah. how can you make them feel comfortable it, when I was looking at a restaurant I was you know I wanted this to be cool and then I was like initially like for, and then I was like you know I, but I want it to be comfortable I want it to be comfortable I want people to be able to sit down have a great dinner and spend you know if you don't want to spend 200 quid a head 300 quid a head 400 quid a head whatever buying a nice bottle of wine you, you want them to sit and have it in comfort and drink from a nice glass and you know, I don't want like an upcycled plate and yeah. like a chipped fucking pottery cup to drink your wine out of I don't know we're not in the I'm not in the taverna in, in Italy yeah. you know I wanted to create this space which was had nice design you know we've got Rose Uniac called on the bonquettes um inspiration from definitely from my time at Casa Cruz like having that those bonquettes low yeah. arms like you've got to think about everything in the design of it and I was very involved from the outset here well obviously I was very involved in the design like mm. one of my best mates who I actually started working with in London uh, we were both at this festival in Germany together <laughs> we were like Harley was like I'm moving to London right let's live together I was like I've got a place in the old this attic of this old woman's house like there's two beds in there why don't we just share the room and Harley was working as front of house and I was working as a chef where was that which was in Battersea okay. he was working in Fulham somewhere oh fine fine uh, Sheikis he works at Sheikis oh nice he worked at the, uh, like the pub in Fulham and then he went to Sheikis so you know we'd sort of get back late at night together and you know talk about the day and probably smoke a joint out the window and, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> it seems incredibly kind of well, not romantic between you two, but romantic, the idea of moving to London. Yeah, so we did that. And... We did that. And then fast forward five years and we were doing, we were running a pop-up on Westbourne Grove together. And then fast forward another sort of eight years, we're doing Harley switched into the more design side of the, of restaurant design. And he's been working for Soho House and Great. Um, in the design and build team. And then he project managed the whole build of this. So together we built the restaurant that we, you know, we'd sort of been, He's been scheming over restaurants yeah. and food and stuff for 15 years since we moved to London. Nice. So that was like, that is, was a really nice tie-in. And, you know, Harley's great at his job and loved work. It's all amazing to work with friends, you know. Great. So. That's um, very nice. 
it's nice to have this conversation because you don't really yeah. check in on those moments until you sort of Definitely. start like I don't I don't take the time to like talk about my work or my part or like yeah. dig into that so I'm always more like tunneling way towards the future and yeah, like what's going on with so it's nice a nice check in and it was it was super nice to work with him on this you've had some very nice reviews since you've opened Giles Corum was pretty complimentary about you yeah um, in his review actually he says that there were kind of people coming over from China TikToking here I think he's just made that up completely, <laughs> complete figment of his imagination however if I do see a group that he described in that article yes then I will say oh, Giles was right <laughs> <laughs> but he's basically saying that people make a pilgrimage from around the world to come and see you well there's some people say oh we came all the way from LA and I was like oh nice what are you doing over here? they're like oh we're coming to see friends and family I was like so you didn't just come all the way from LA for this <laughs> Um, yeah. and then people say they came from you know we get people from Mexico Canada blah, 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 like Australia um, all over the world yeah. people have come Philippines people going fucking buck wild crazy nice um, that is the power of social media as much as there's a lot of detrimental elements to it yeah yeah you know, I sometimes refer to it as like having a it's like the modern day pen pal you know what I mean where you can right. like but you're just like pinging messages back or like you can comment or you can like whereas back in the day it would have been like you wrote a letter once every two weeks yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and always forgot to keep it up yeah exactly yeah, it was tough Nancy. yeah there was no pictures and <laughs> <laughs> but do you care about the kind of the review side have you had any bad ones the review no reviews are important I think I mean luckily for us we were full anyway yeah I know that I think reviews probably in papers have become slightly less important just because purely you know there's only so many people who read the newspaper and online that's behind a paid wall so like a lot of people won't read the review yeah. like a lot of, like a lot of people unless you're diligent on a Saturday and buy the on a Sunday buy the two papers yeah. that have the reviews in and then you know often people like more people in London would pick up the metro or something for yeah. a, to read all the all the standard for a review they're definitely important because you hit a new demographic every time or someone who might not have known about you that, that does now know about you. Definitely important in that respect. But, you know, obviously Google reviews, more ad hoc okay. and mainly people who've had a bad experience. Yeah, you don't bother writing about a good experience. Yeah, that, that's the thing. Like people probably don't, yeah. And then you've just got, then that's a sort of management thing that you've got to deal with in-house. But like good reviews, great to have them, great to have them for our investor deck moving forward and yeah. like the next projects we're working on um, it's sort of like box ticking yeah a friend of Giles's who we actually ate with Max he was telling me how Giles had told him that back when he first started his career and it, it was super hot and people were reading the paper a lot more than they yeah. are now he had the power to make or break a restaurant definitely at the beginning so like in terms of like influencing our trade it doesn't influence it as much it's great to have as I said like a something in the bank but yeah you know super I, I actually wasn't here for that review I was, I was working in, in Switzerland every time I go away something good happens like we do record week record week back to back I was like fuck I need to go away more often good Giles Conner review I'm going to book a month away <laughs> so did they tell tell you who was in yeah they called me and they, I was like for fuck's sake it was the 4th of January I was like god typical 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 first day I'm gone <laughs> You spoke. You mentioned earlier the kind of detrimental parts of social media, and 
you know, we all know that social media is probably not good for us on a day-to-day level to be consuming it that much. But you have, you kind of have to be on it. You've got an obligation to, to keep things ticking over. Has that side of it ever been difficult or irritating or troublesome well, to you? Well, to keep up with it. Just keep up with it and just to be presumably kind of keeping abreast of it on top of it and just looking at it and thinking about it all the time. You got because I suppose for the first three months of when we opened the restaurant was the first time I was like I just can't physically keep on top of it. I was in the kitchen in six days a week. Monday I was probably fucking hungover. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) in bed all day, and then back in the cycle. It was really impossible for me to make content, and you know I was doing some brand deals, which you know I had to cancel because. I wasn't doing the yeah. videos and that, you know, significant money left on the table. But I was like, I literally couldn't keep up with the work of it. I probably could have done if I wasn't drinking late and yeah, up early. And like, you know, but actually, you know, it, I'm getting way more organized now. I was sort of, I found myself doing probably enough work for three people. Wow. Whether it was like the office stuff or my other business or downstairs in the kitchen. Like I was doing even working 12 doubles in the kitchen it's like it's, it's two chefs basically wow you know I like putting the hours in I do like putting the hours in I'm grafter even if I'm not rotor I'll be here at A I'll be up and I'll be one of the last to leave now I'm more structured I take definitely a day to do content a week okay and then because it is quite exhausting being yeah like you know being one or two days a week I've now got an editor who works for me full time and I've got a PA who looks after me now. Nice. Puts all, so just like, yeah, being more structured because it all happened quite quickly. Like the restaurant was a, yeah. the restaurant was opening. There was a lot of moving pieces. I had another, you know, and now we're just sort of sort of settling down. It's okay. Five months into the restaurant and yeah. had a bit of breathing space and yeah, make a couple more hires and yeah, we're getting we're getting that though. It's it's an intro. It's a really really amazing time saying that we're getting there I've just been in New York a couple of weeks ago looking at a site over there nice so that'll throw a spanner in the works for sure yeah, <laughs> there not? we go yeah exactly once you get com- never get comfortable no that's good that's, I don't that. I don't want to I don't want to sit and be like you know I'll wake up go to work no 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 yeah. I want I've always wanted to challenge myself and whether yeah. it's like just throw myself in at the deep end and I suppose that's what I did because I didn't necessarily go about it in the most normal way so yeah. I just took opportunities if it didn't work for me it didn't work for me and I moved on yeah so New York it is New York it is New York it is yeah. Manhattan yeah wow if you can make it there you can make it anywhere yeah yeah. they say yeah I'm told so yeah we got I mean I've got a great following in the US it's the logical next step My, I've got a US passport so okay um, will I file US tax returns so I may as well go and make some fucking money <laughs> Uh, so, um, and the restaurant seems buzzing so it's, yeah, it's really it's a really really something I love to do I love the city so yeah once we're yeah once we've got that locked in it should be sort of later this year okay. early, early next year so open early next year yeah okay. I've yeah. got some great US investors so I think it's yeah the sites are bigger the rent is extortionate yeah um, Will you call it Strakers? We might call it Strakers, yeah. It depends. Strakers too. Strakers. I don't want to do... That's the thing. I don't want to do... I'll do a Strakers in the US. But they're not... No, I, I'm not going to do a Strakers again in London. 
my sort of aim is to create three brands that we take around, two or three brands that we can put into cities around the world. Yeah. The US is the most attractive for me, just in terms of like, you know, having the, having the citizenship, the huge growth potential over there. Yeah, just live the American dream. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Yeah. Oh, it's cool. Like go to, you know, go, go to LA, New York. Yeah, we'll get, we'll get that baby steps first. Yeah, of course. We'll get this one locked down. Yeah. Not shut down. Not shut down. And then, we, yeah, we look, it's, it's good to be, it's good to be moving though. Yeah. So one of the other projects obviously is, if Instagram is to be believed, is a kind of butter brand. Yeah. And obviously you went hard on butter. Yeah. I mean, it looked sort of like you got lost down a butter rabbit hole. There was every type of butter being made. Yeah, like, we're not there yet. We've got another 50. You've got another 50 butters <laughs> to make. So how many butters will you have done? Oh, I think I've done 70 of them. What is the butter thing about? Because... So, okay, so I'll explain to you. I went on TikTok. The first video I ever did got like 4 million views and I had 100,000 followers overnight. And then I was like, then I just kept posting all my old content on there and nothing really, nothing went <clears throat> viral. And then I did two butters over the course of, because obviously bread and butter, every good restaurant has a good butter, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So I've seen a few. I did a butter in like six months before and then I did a wild garlic butter and they both, I looked at them and I was like, they both got over a million views. I was like, TikTok obviously likes butter. I was like, right, bam. Let's do it. So I was like, I said, I, I did this intro saying I was doing a butter series that got like 10 million views straight away. And then I was like, shit, I've got to actually, I've not made, I've got to make the butter. So I was just like chasing my tail, like one butter a day, bam, bam, bam. I did the chicken skin butter that got 10 million views. And I did the burnt butter that got 20 million views. And, I did the, wow. and it just went mad. And it went crazy across Instagram. Like the uptick in following is like, it's almost 2 million on TikTok. Wow. And it's all, it's over a million on Instagram. It boosted my profile from, it gave me 200,000 followers on YouTube basically. And yeah. like, so it's like, it really did catapult my, wow. my so growth. Is the thing. And is it because... And so, and therefore, we sourced an amazing uh, dairy farm in Somerset and they make some great butters. And we went down there, it's all grass fed, organic. And the butter quality is fantastic. Mm. They make some well-known um, butters that they make butter for Dales for instance yeah. and it just made like the butter market in the UK is 1.5 billion mm. a year if you look at the shell, look on the shelves in the supermarket it's pretty like it's gold it's silver it's yeah. boring so as it stands we are almost the largest followed butter company on Instagram yeah in the UK with Lurpak being the next biggest. Wow. Uh, and we don't even have a product yet. That's crazy. Is that little render that you see, is that going to be kind of what it looks like? Yeah. There's kind of bright yeah, colours. Yeah, packaging, and... yeah. Nice. So yeah, it's so packaging, and then we're going to do, it's completely different. It's sort of like a little market disruptor. Yeah. I think the butter market in the US is something like 20 billion or something. So we want to go UK, US, and there's going to be, with the main range of it's going to be salted, unsalted. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to have, we're going to do a little one, you know, the butter's 250 grams. Yeah. So then we're going to do 
125 grams, so half blocks of flavoured butters. So nice. whether it's like a brown butter or a chilli butter or a garlic and herb butter or like stuff like that. So great. they're great, really amazing interest, great feedback. We've done, I've done two posts about it and we've got 15,000 followers already. Crazy. So, um, and that will be, you know, by hopefully the time that this comes yeah. out, be 20,000. Hopefully. Yeah. Then you. Uh, so, so that's a good... Working. Yeah, it's good. I mean... People don't know the price of it yet. <laughs> I ordered my first two tons of butter the other day. That's what that's eight thousand blocks. Wow! And we can take we so take, you use all of that in here. We take forty kilos of butter a week in the kitchen. Wow! So I no, I'm going to sell it online. Okay, fine. We're going to go online shop, proof concept, uh, and then we're going to go out and make a Very go nice. to retail. Hopefully, yeah. that's the vague plan. My best, my other best friend. From school, it's work, has been working across a couple of my businesses for a while as an investor in the restaurant, and we are doing that together cool. as partners. So, and we're working on a couple of other things. We're just about to launch a. I did a small drop of us, my first knife. Nice. The TS knife, sharp as hell. <laughs> <laughs> and then, so we're working on that at the moment. I've got a meeting after this, actually. So oh, we're looking, and Toby. My best friend Toby is uh, working across that as well. So um, it's interesting. It's nice to be, you know, sort of in line with someone in a business yeah. relationship as well, who sort of has the scope. He's just about to leave his job and work full time on these projects. So yeah, it, I mean, it's super. It's amazing to have that opportunity to work with people that you want to work with. And, yeah. So I know I'm very great. I'm super grateful, but it's obviously, you know, it's it's work. It's hard work. I've got a young family, two kids, and that was going to be my kind of next question. What? How? We're spinning all those plates. How do you fit in the other bits you need to do? Two kids. Either got to get up early, or you know, I try and make it up for breakfast every day. And six six thirty, she wakes up. the, The young one, the older one. Sorry. Um. You know, fit in a walk before going yeah. to work, and sometimes they come in for dinner. They they'll come in here for dinner between like after school, yeah, and then try and take Sunday off. Yeah, and what <laughs> doesn't you... always work, but the, yeah, it's, it's difficult. Yeah, it's yeah. difficult. I took four days away in the Gower the other day on the Gower Peninsula in Wales oh, nice. with the with the kids and with the family, and we uh, I was asleep for basically two days, <laughs> <laughs> just catching up to try and yeah. And what do, you, the, do your friends and family who've known you for a long time think about this kind of viral Tom? The person that people hiss at and gasp about when you cross the road. Do they think it's quite amusing? Yeah, they could find it amusing. Yeah, they obviously think potentially... I don't know. I don't know. I haven't really bothered myself with their opinion too much. But <laughs> they, some of them, my mum was like, you're a dick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She was concerned about me at one point. What is she it going like, to your head? As in, if I was partying too much or something, she was like, I'm going to come into the restaurant <laughs> and I'm going to try. She had told one of my friends or my wife or something, no, I'm going to come into the restaurant and I'm going to drag him out by his collar and send him to rehab. And I was like, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that, you know, the still return, that's monthly instinct. <laughs> yeah. Do you think the, um, the kind of party bit of it, that hedonism, your love of fun, is that important to who you are as a chef as well? No, it? I think it's probably detrimental to everything. Oh, really? 
Well, I think, you know, nothing really, you know, if you're hungover, you're not productive. You know, I'm four times as productive, but I'm not drinking. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So would you go teetotal again, do you think? Yeah, I think I'll, yeah. I am. What are you on about? No, I, no. I think it's it depends. Like I love the I love the combination of food and drink, and so I find it very difficult to stop entirely. But I think when I work on a new project, I I am laser focused and I don't don't drink and I stay fit and healthy and because that's what it takes to get these kind of projects off the ground and off the over the line, and so they're working smoothly and operationally and raising you know it's not a, you know you've got to raise money you've got to look you've got to be presentable you've got to come up with the ideas you've got to do the design you've got a million people asking you questions and then you've got to run your other business at the same time as as developing the new ones and traveling yeah. and back and forth and what's up yeah i mean it's completely like sobriety for work is good that's <laughs> probably a good motto so there's probably lots of people who might be listening who like you uh, at school or leaving school or at any stage in life they don't really know what they want to do and and it sounds like you you sort of had an idea but you weren't kind of a 10 year old wannabe Gordon Ramsay what would be your advice for them about following their kind of nose and finding things they actually really want to do what I really say to all the the people who ask me about careers in cooking or careers in general you've got to make you've got to be prepared to make mistakes and if you don't like it if you don't like something just move on don't be afraid there's so many opportunities out there so many different in different fields people who find their dream job at 35 or you know don't it's never too late to actually go and do something and I think if you just take take the time to make the mistake like I, I knew I didn't want to go to university because I knew it, it would not be good for me or I wouldn't be good for it in whichever way I knew that and so I just I didn't settle down and I just but when I found something I knew I wanted to do I put my entire past life on hold and I just went for the yeah. future and I just drove forward and did the best job I could at it and that's I suppose that's all you can do be prepared to make mistakes if you find something you like go for it and just don't let anything else get in your way I suppose yeah I never I didn't know what I wanted to do until I was doing it yeah. and then I was like fuck I'm doing it there Let's we get go it. Yeah. bingo yeah then it's just been full six gear <laughs> going at it so that's the yeah I suppose make mistakes and move on Good stuff. Tom, thank you very much. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, my absolute pleasure. Thanks for coming. Well, if you enjoyed that episode of the Gentleman's Journal podcast, you'll almost certainly love the Gentleman's Journal magazine, the world's finest dispatch from the front line of luxury, entrepreneurship and style. In fact, lucky podcast listeners like you now get 20% off our annual subscription. Just enter the code POD20 at thegentlemansjournal.com to find out more.